continue to do what you're doing. We have some delicious treats. If you haven't grabbed one yet, go ahead and do so. Uh, if you still need to use the restroom, sister-in-law, go for it. Um, you will not offend me one bit whatsoever. Now, I don't know the last time that you guys have painted something, but Jarek and I recently, uh, and I say recently, like as of two days ago, painted the kid's bathroom back there. My no, no, it's not for that. My entire body is on fire. Like, my hamstrings hurt. Uh, I don't know why, but my face hurts too. Uh, some of you may be saying your face hurts just because you've seen my face, but it's been painful. So just a quick suggestion, if you ever have painting to do, hire someone else. Uh, just saying that. Now, yeah, Jericho will come paint for you. She's excellent at it. Now, I don't know, uh, the Olympics just finished. I love the Olympics. Uh, over that time, I obviously got to know that a lot of the rest of you really love the Olympics as well, especially you, Grant, uh, big fan. Now. The thing I love about it is you have these world-class class athletes from all over the world. It's literally the best that the entire world has to offer. And they're all in one spot, and they're competing in their events, uh, and not just to win for themselves, but for their families and their countries. I love every single event. I would watch every single event live if I could. In fact, and I've suggested this, but my wife will never let me do it. If I could get every screen in our house set up in one room and just have a different channel on and a different event on, I would watch it. I would watch it all, and it would be the way that I would choose to spend my time. Maybe not the best way to choose to spend my time, but it's what I would do. Now, two of the craziest events to me are the synchronized swimming and the synchronized diving. Okay, first of all, the synchronized swimming is crazy to me because I can't hold my breath for like longer than 12 seconds without feeling like my heart's about to explode. So I don't even understand that at all. But you look at these two events, and in these two events, they're judged based on their movements, matching their teammates' movements exactly. Exactly. Every spin, every twist, every flip, every twirl, it all has to match perfectly and be in synchronization. The trust and the accountability between the team members in these two events, in my opinion, is the highest out of any other event inside of the Olympics. Years, and I do mean years of preparation, hours and hours of communication, all boils down to a couple of days and at times just a couple of minutes of them performing in their event. And here they are having to rely on one another after dedicating so much of their time and their life to their event. In short, they're mutually accountable to one another. And today we talk about mutual accountability. How can I be accountable to you and how can you be accountable to me? And how does that make us as a team better? We're gonna look in Romans 14 today. It's gonna be verses 13 through 19. I'm gonna read it first and then we're gonna break it down just a little bit, but this is what it says. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. What's being discussed at the heart of this passage is personal freedom. Personal freedom. Especially one's personal freedom or prerogative to live life according to their own convictions. And to provide an example, Paul uses a really hot button issue of the church specifically in this day, the Roman church, who he was writing his letter to, food. You see, because Jewish custom said that there were certain foods that you could not eat. It's explained in Leviticus 11 verse 3, and basically this is the rule. It says you can eat of any animal that has a cloven hoof and, the and is important, choose the cud, which is a really gross word. I think that we should change it for all other sorts of anything. It's just nasty. But I'm going to say cud at least two more times. So you couldn't eat an animal that had just a cloven hoof, and you couldn't eat an animal that just chewed the cud. It had to do both. It had to do both. And So for the Jewish people, that took out camel. So if you've ever wanted to eat camel and you're Jewish, sorry, you didn't get that experience. Hyrax, which I think is sort of like a deer, goat, sheep thing. It's got to be one of those three. Uh, a rabbit and pig. They couldn't eat these things. But then in the New Testament, a new teaching arises. And this teaching comes directly from the lips of Jesus in Matthew 15. And he explains to the people, you see, it's not what you put inside of your mouth that makes you unclean. Rather, it's what comes out of it. It's not what's going inside your mouth. It's what's coming out of your mouth that's going to make you unclean, that's going to make you unrighteous, and that's going to make you unholy. Now, this new teaching had reached far and wide, and I can't tell you specifically if it reached the Roman church by this point or not, but obviously some of them were kind of abiding by those laws and those rules. But there was another group of newer Christians who were raised Jewish, who couldn't quite overcome that stipulation because they'd been raised their whole life to not eat these certain things that would make them unclean. And so they, they didn't want to do that, and they weren't okay with it. And what happened is they started butting heads with one another. There was this group that said, we eat the meat, and we're so perfect. And there's this other group that says, well, we're not eating the meat, and we're better than you. Right? And it's going back and forth. We've never been in situations like that before, have we? And Paul's sitting here saying, hey, guys, this is not an eternally significant issue. There is no eternal significance to this, meaning this is not going to affect anyone's salvation. Why are you fighting over food? We don't need to be focusing on what we're eating. We need to be focusing on peace and joy and righteousness. You have stumbled. You have fallen. You are not being kind to one another. We're supposed to be a team. We're supposed to be in this together. We're supposed to be building each other up, and we're failing to do so. 
And so Paul begins. We're going to start reading through it just a little bit, a couple of verses at a time. Verse 13, therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. You see, the first step to mutual accountability is self-inspection or self-introspection, looking inside. What are some of the questions that we can ask ourselves when we're a part of a team, whether that be a sports team or that be a marriage or a friendship or a working relationship or anything? What, what are some of the questions we ask ourselves in those situations? The first thing is, hey, what am I bringing to the team? How am I helping? How am I making others better? How am I making others worse? What do I need to change? What do I need to improve? How can I encourage others to be better? Right? Because the best teams we've mentioned almost every week are the ones that are not working individually for themselves, but are working at their individual tasks for the betterment of all those around them. Where I'm working for you and you're working for me. That's what makes a great team. So what's your motivation? Are you working to glorify yourself? Are you working to glorify your convictions? Well, this is how I feel, and this is how it must be. Because I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I'm pretty. People need to listen to what I have to say. Or are you looking at the team as a whole and saying, I'm going to do what's ever best for us? Are you trying to glorify your effort? Or are you looking at one another and saying, this will help so-and-so do their job? If we would all just work together towards the common goal, are we working to glorify ourselves or are we working for the greater good? Are we working for the glory of the group? Successful teams have no room for selfishness. They have no room for selfishness. Paul in verse 14 says, I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. I'm convinced being fully persuaded by Christ the Lord, by Jesus, that there's nothing wrong with eating whatever food comes upon my table. That's what Paul's saying. I can eat whatever. I know it. Not do I just know it, but I am convinced by the Lord that it is true. And yet here are these people. And they just can't get to the point that I'm at. They are struggling with that knowledge. They are struggling with that right. And even though I know there's nothing wrong with it, I look at them and they're struggling with it. And when they see me doing it, it makes their struggle even worse. Now I could help them by not eating certain foods. And so when I'm in their company, I'm not going to do it. Because as we have already discussed, this is not an internally important issue. I'm not winning souls for Christ because I'm making them not eat certain foods. And in fact, their struggle is such, 
It's so real for them. It's causing such pain for them that it's actually pushing them away from the Lord when they see me doing the thing that they themselves struggle not to do. And so it would be better for me not. It would be actually loving of me. It would be Christ-like of me to not partake of that food in front of them. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. You see, Paul's right to personal liberty is superseded by his requirement to love his neighbor. I'm going to say that directly to you. Your right to personal liberty is superseded by your requirement to love your neighbor. Now, we all have convictions that we can't bend on. I understand that. And there are certainly things that have eternal consequences that we must stand by. But to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves and to love our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength requires us to put others first and to say, even though I know I have this right, even though I kind of want to partake in this right, I'm not going to do it because I know that that is a stumbling block for you. That's difficult. That's difficult for all people to wrap their heads around. It's especially difficult for the American Christian. But the problem there is that we attach the word American to Christian. We are Christians. We are not American Christians. We are followers of Christ. We are not American followers of Christ. And I'll tell you, this is not written anywhere in my notes. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying it. Some of you are definitely going to be unhappy with me. I love you. I also don't care. Because the conviction is such, and in my heart, I know that it is true. And even though it makes me uncomfortable to share, I must do so. Because there are some things that we must stand by that we cannot bend on. And one of those things is that Jesus takes precedence over your nationality. And Jesus takes precedence even over your freedoms. And that's all I'll say about that. Forrest Gump style. The issue is that oftentimes we will fight to the death for something that really isn't that important. Or even that we don't even care that much about We just don't want somebody to get one over on us. We just don't want to let somebody else control our lives or tell us what to do. But if we really looked inside, if we really thought about it, we would see to ourselves, this isn't really that significant to me. And frankly, I'm I'm fighting for no reason. I'm causing turmoil for no reason. And if we're to be a team and we're to be a successful one, There's no room for selfishness. It is all about the greater good. Paul would teach us that to be a good team member, a good Christian, focuses on harmony, right conduct, and joy. Rather than having a point of view 
or an opinion placed on a pedestal. Finally, last thing I'll leave you with, mutual accountability seeks mutual edification. Mutual accountability seeks mutual edification. Verse 19, therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The literal translation here is peace and whatever builds one another up. If you were to look in the Greek, that's what it would say. Peace and whatever builds one another up. You see, accountability being in place should have the goal of mutual edification, of building one another up. I'm going to hold you accountable. Not because it's always comfortable, not because it necessarily makes me happy, not because I want to upset you, not because I want to have to call you out on certain things, but because in the end, my goal, my heart is to make you the best that you can be. And vice versa. Believe it or not, people come to me with issues with things that I say, I wouldn't say quite often, but every now and then. And sometimes they may be right, and sometimes they may be wrong, but there's one thing that I trust, I choose to trust, is that at their heart, they're doing it to make me better. At their heart, they're doing it to bring something to my attention that maybe I hadn't seen originally when I said something off the top of the head. And I trust and I know that they're not doing it to tear me down. They're not doing it to make me feel bad. They're doing it to make me better. They're doing it to make me a more well-rounded individual. What do you choose to do? How do you choose to act when people come to you with constructive criticism? Are you automatically defensive? Does it ruin your day? Are you going to huff and puff and storm around? Are you going to come up with all the reasons that they're crazy and you're right? Or are you going to set aside yourself, listen to what it is that they have to say, and take the merit from their argument, trusting that they're there to build you up a team rising to be something and an individual rising to be something that they wouldn't become if they were a solo act is the epitome of what all our teamwork scenarios should be. I am a better human being because I am married to my wife, Jerrica. I am a better football coach and a better special education teacher because I work with Jack. I'm a better friend because Jack's my friend. I'm a better pastor because I know that Jake will have uncomfortable conversations with me, whether it's, hey, you need to think about this and be better, or 
I know something's going on with you. Talk to me. Our relationships should be mutually edifying. They should make us better. They should build us up. And if they're not doing that, then we need to reevaluate those relationships. And we also need to reevaluate our place in those relationships because maybe, just maybe, the reason that they're not is because of something we're doing. Because of something we're doing. You see, a rising tide lifts all boats. It's a very old saying. But if only one boat is lifted, then somebody has been swimming around drilling a hole in the hole of other boats. And team is being abused. And that is something that should never ever happen. Here's a promise I'll make to you. I will fight for you. I will work for you. I will do everything I can do to make you better. Will you for me? Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the word of God and for the message that you've delivered to us this morning. God, sometimes we hear uncomfortable truths. Sometimes we hear things that don't make us feel the best about the way that we're living our lives or the way that we act in certain situations. Lord, I would pray in those scenarios that we not look first to why we are justified. I pray that our first reaction wouldn't be that we get upset. But Lord, help us in those situations to look at ourselves, to see the merit in what others have to say, and to continue to push forward to the ultimate goal of experiencing the fullness of Christ. At the end of the day, what I think, what I feel, doesn't matter near as much as what you say of me. It doesn't matter near as much as what you want me to do. It doesn't matter near as much as where you call me to go, the things you call me to say. There was a shift. I don't know when it happened but it's been in my lifetime that we've stopped looking at the greater good and we've started looking at how we as individuals can be glorified. We're told to make ourselves the most important thing, to get ours, to focus on self-happiness and self-fulfillment. That becomes a really easy message to get behind. It becomes a really easy message to champion because it feels good. But we are not here for ourselves. We are not called to live a life of self-centeredness and selfish ambition. We are called to live in a way that shows the world our Jesus. 
We are called to live in a way that brings glory to you. And if there's anything inside of us, God, that would fight that, that would combat that, I pray you convict us and you remove it. May we all strive to make each other better. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Some of you out there need to pray today. I don't know what about. You can use our stage as an altar. You can go directly to God. You can come pray with me. I would absolutely love to pray for you, regardless of what's happening. Some of you don't have a relationship with Christ. It would be naive to say that everyone in here is saved, and you need that relationship. You need to know what it even means to be saved. Come have that conversation with me today before you leave. It's the best thing that you could ever do. Some of you may want to start to call Crosspoint your home and become a member here. We would love to have you. But right now, if you're not one of those three things, what you need to do is stand and just give an offering of worship to our God because He is worthy. And that's it, because He is worthy. Stand with us now.